0: His pleasure. This morning, you're giving Him pleasure. You're bringing pleasure to Him. All things, from the breath that we breathe, to every beat of our heart, to every moment we're alive, the clothes on our back, the food in our stomach, the relations that we have, all of these are from all things for Him. James says every good and precious gift comes down from the Father above with whom there is no shadow of turning. Our life belongs to Him. It was created by Him. It was created for Him. You do not own your life. And the more we surrender Our lives and the control of our lives and the care to Him, the freer we become, and the more of Him we know, and the more of Him is able to flow through us. I felt this morning as we were singing that song about God will move every mountain. I love the song, but Jesus said something differently. And God spoke to Moses as they were approaching. God had set them free from Egypt. They're approaching the promise. they're going in the wilderness to the promised land, but there's an obstacle in the way, and it's the Red Sea. And Moses cries out to God and said, what are we going to do? Will you move this thing? Get it out of our way. And God said to Moses, why are you standing there talking to me? You have in your hand what you need. Hold it out over it. That was fine for Moses. But what about you and me? But Jesus said, He didn't say cry out to God for the mountain in your life. He said for you to speak to that mountain in the name of Jesus and command it to get out of the way. But you must believe in your heart and not doubt. There's some of you here this morning, some of you watching online. There's a mountain in your way. Whether it's in a relationship, whether it's in fulfilling your destiny, whether it's in your health. There's something, and you'll know what it is when I say those words. So don't start figuring out what it is. You'll know immediately what that mountain is. And you've been crying out to God and wondering why that's still in the way. Because Jesus has given you what you need. He's given you His name. At the mention of His name, every knee shall bow. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth, that covers everything. And every tongue shall declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. So what you need to do, your answer is you need to begin to speak to that mountain. Speak to that pain. Speak to that obstacle. Speak to whatever it is, that fear, in the name of Jesus, not in your own authority, and command it to leave. Father, we just thank you today that you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness. We thank you that greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. We thank you that you have given us your spirit to dwell in us. You've given us your word and you've given us the authority in the name of Jesus to exercise that authority. And so, Father, today, we thank you all that you've given us. Now give us the boldness to step out and to act with boldness on what you have put into our hands. For greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise the God. Turn around and greet someone, and you may be seated. Good morning. Now, I haven't been up here in a while, so this is, you're getting kind of weak. Good morning. They're a little stronger over here. Come on, guys. Good morning. All right. I knew you could do it. Praise the Lord. I don't know if I'm supposed to dismiss Jumpstart and D2L, but if so, you're dismissed. Uh, Pastor Chris and, uh, is in California this morning in Los Angeles. He's going to be visiting the Dream Center, uh, I think tomorrow, and it also gives him a chance to visit with his brothers that are out there and to meet his new nephew, our grandson. So I got to see a picture yesterday of my two grandsons together, and that was a blessing. So we just pray for him out there that they have a time of rest. It's a short time that they're out there. Praise the Lord. Well, Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time of worship. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you, Father, for the Word of God that you've given to us. And I pray now, Father, as we take the Word that's been sown into my heart and that you you have brought alive, that under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you would take this Word and not communicate ideas to our mind, but penetrate our heart with the power of this Word. For it is your Word, it is your heart towards us. Help us to open our hearts, the vents of our heart, to receive this word. And Satan, we bind you and every effort you would have to distract and to, di- and to discourage the saints of God to receive the word that he has for his own people today. And for that, we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to vocal those of you that are watching online and I trust that you are going to not be a uh, spectator, but a participant. Well, the title of this message is, you can put it up, you can put it up. I guess they don't have it. Okay. Again, praise the Lord. It's been a while since I've been up here. Uh, Title of this message is "What are you?" Is it up there now? What are you, What are you worth? Well, I used to train them not to put it up until I. So, what What are you worth? I've been a Christian for forty five years, and over the last months, God's been revealing something to me that I've I've known here, and I preached here with all my heart, but He's been touching my heart. At a deeper level, with this, especially in the time that we were away, when no longer the the pressures of ministry and the the preparation of messages, I could just be alone, be together, get some rest, and and be together with my wife and with the Lord, and allow Him to rest us and and to communicate some things that He wanted to, to share with me and to share to share with Anita. So the question is, what what are you worth? Uh, I, there, Forbes magazine every year puts out a list of the top 25 wealthiest people in the world. So I'll put that list up there. I want to go through this list quickly with you. So Bernard Arnold, uh, he and his family own Louis Vuitton, Christian Dior, and Tiffany. And This is net worth. Assets minus liabilities. They're worth $211 billion dollars. So all of you people, ladies that want to have a Louis Vuitton purse, and wear Christian Dior clothes, and buy your your bling at Tiffany's, you've provided them with 211 billion dollars. It shows you what the value system of the world is like. Next is Ellen Monk. He owns Tesla, and Twitter, and his net worth net worth is 180 billion. He had a tough year last year because his net worth went down by $39 billion. Bad, I feel bad for him. <laughs> then we've got Jeff Bezos. He, he's the founder and principal stockholder of Amazon, and his net worth is only $114 billion. He had an even rougher year. His net worth dropped by $57 billion. Then there's Larry Ellison. He owns Oracle Software. He's the founder of that He's a mere $107 billion, and we have tied for fifth Warren Buffett, who is the owner of Berkshire Hathaway Investment Company, and Bill Gates, we all know who he is, owner of Microsoft. Their only net worth is only $104 billion. But that doesn't mean much until we have some understanding of what a billion is. This is one billion. So this is some statistics I've looked up to help us understand what to wrap our mind around a billion, because we think a million's a lot, but a billion is 1,000 millions. So if you were given a billion dollars and told that you could spend them at a rate of $1,000 a day, it would take you about 2,740 years before you ran out of money. That equates to $5,000 a day for more than 500 years or $100,000 every single day for 25 years. This means that if you were given a billion dollars and told to spend it in one year, you would have to spend a minimum of $2,739,726 a day to reach zero by the end of a year. To give you a visual idea, If you had a billion dollars in a stack of one-dollar bills, one-dollar bills, you know how thin they are? They're getting thinner all the time. And you stacked a billion dollars up, that stack of billion dollars would reach 67,000, excuse me, 67.9 miles high. That's high enough to reach into the trophosphere which is one of the major outer layers of the earth's atmosphere and that's just 1 billion, 211 of those. So how do we determine the value of something? Who decided that they were worth that much money? Well, in most cases, it's based on the value of the stock that they own. Now, as a lawyer, I had to deal with values and valuations some of my work involved valuing properties, having the, fighting over the value of properties and the value of companies. And there were two basic ways of valuing something that would satisfy a judge. For a company or certain investment properties... It was sometimes the rate of return, the, the profit over a year and spread that out over a period of time. But by and large, for most things, the way they would value it is they would they would search for what are called comps, comparative sales, to find out what something is worth. So if you're selling your property and you go to a realtor, one of the first things they will do is help you set an asking price. We have a neighbor, while we were away, there just... Were, house was there, we come back and find out not only is it uh, uh, for sale sign, it's been sold in the time we were just away over a couple of we- three weeks. And so I happened to know, we happen to know them, and what we discovered is the realtor came and based on the, the, the sales in the area where we live, they gave them an asking price. They ended up selling that house for far more than the asking price. Well, was the realtor wrong on the value? Yes. She was wrong on the value. Why? Because what sets the value is what somebody's willing to pay for it. Your value is determined by what somebody is willing to pay for it. So what's happened is the value of these people's stock has gone down in value because people aren't willing to pay what it used to pay for. You know, those of you that... Look at anything financial, you'll see the reports of the stock market going up and down. What causes it to go up and down? People either trust a stock more or not, or less, and so they'll either buy it or they'll try to sell what they have because their fear is it's going to go down. But what causes it to go down? People won't pay that price today, they'll pay a lower price. So what sets the price or the value of something is what somebody's willing to pay for it. So if you own something in your home that's very precious to you, but you want to sell it, you won't get anything for it unless somebody else is willing to cough up the money to buy it from you. So you can have people that, that are very wealthy in terms of the value of their land, but in an economy where people aren't buying real estate, it's not, liquid, it's not liquid of any liquid value. It's just they own it, but the value changes every day based on what people are willing to pay, pay for it. So that's how value is, is determined. Who determines the value? Well, in the case of my neighbor's house, the, 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 the realtor who's an experienced person in buying and selling property in our community, they picked a price, but they were wrong because they didn't determine the value. They got into a bidding war. It was who, what, the last person with the highest offer. They determined the value. Now, I've got to think, if they got that much for their house, and I'm two houses away... Hmm. but next year it may not be worth that because people may not be willing to pay that much money back when I was in Boston doing commercial real estate suddenly the value of property just started shooting up and we discovered what it was we had people from California moving in and they would sell their house in California they would sell a house in California for a million dollars this was 30 years ago that here was maybe worth $200,000 and they would snatch it up right away, because they had the cash, and the value-wise, it was a lot cheaper, and so as a result, the realtors began to realize this, so the property values began to go up. In the four years we were in Oklahoma, our house quadrupled in value. Unfortunately, I didn't wait, s- I didn't hold on to sell it. <laughs> I sold it at the low end. Anyway, that's another story. Okay, so, the, so it's an asking price. Real value is determined by the buyer, and what they're willing to part with now, one of the ministries I, I, I follow and listen to, he was telling me a story. And some of this message, I, I really was inspired by him. And uh, he's a, a sports car buff. He likes sports cars. And he was, uh, he was with his wife down south, and they were sitting outside having breakfast, and he heard the sound of a sports car coming. He recognized that whine of that engine. He said, but it didn't sound familiar. And this car pulls in right in front of where they're sitting outside, and he didn't recognize it. He said, I usually know what they are. So pretty soon the guy's eating begin to come out. The guy that drove it, they get out and they come in and he gets out along with some other guys and they're they're looking at this. And he says, I wonder what it is. And one guy says, oh, I know what it is. It's a McLaren P1. He said, well, what's that? What's it worth? He said, they, they cost a million one, million one hundred thousand dollars one car. It barely sits two people. But they only make a few of them a year. And so one of the guys says, <laughs> it's sure not worth that. And this preacher, without thinking, rose up. He said, it sure is. The guy that just got out of it, it was worth it to him. How do we know that? Because he paid a million one 000, 000 for the car. Now, everybody's standing around there, oh, it's not worth that. But to one person, it was worth it enough. So we know the value of that car, at least to that person, by what they were, what they were willing to pay. Go into Matthew 26. There's a story in the Bible about this. When Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. Now, one of the other Gospels tells us that this was this an was oil that would cost about a year's wages. So this is... A, imagine a bottle of perfume, ladies, that was one year's wages, of your wages or your husband's wages. And she poured it. She didn't take the little dog. She poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But his disciples saw the same thing, and they were indignant, saying, Why is this waste? For this fragrant oil may have been sold for much and given to the poor. So in their mind, Jesus was not worth the value of that oil. This is the disciples' keep going but Jesus was aware of it and he said to them he's not rebuking the woman for wasting it he said why do you trouble the woman for she has done a good work for me keep going for you have the poor with you always but me you do not always have in pouring this fragrant oil on my body she did it for my beer we'll stop there and basically goes on to say what she's done will be remembered throughout all of eternity so here is this woman, some, trans, some versions say it was Mary, this woman who, 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 know, who has a sense of something going to happen to him, and she values him so much she takes a bottle of perfume worth a whole year's wages, and she empties it on him. And the disciples don't recognize yet his true value, and they get indignant. In other words, they don't, if you would ask them, I'm sure they wouldn't have said that. But in their thinking he was not worth the price of that oil. So the question of today's message is what are you worth? How is your value determined? You already have an idea. You may not think of it. You may not put it into words. But you have an image in your mind of what you're worth. You hear a lot about self-worth and self-esteem. It's the same thing, really. Well, throughout human history. Humans have been bought and sold as slaves. They were treated as property, valueless. Their only value was the work that they could produce. Your employer values you based on what you can do for his company or her company. I did a little research and your different views on this, but if you took your body parts and sold them, don't rush out to do it right now. But you took your body parts and sold them based on market value for kidneys and liver and it'd be worth about $550,000. Don't get any ideas. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. And these are verses we've talked about before. I think Pastor Race talked about these verses. But we're going to look at them from a different point of view. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. If you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work and conduct yourself throughout time of your stay here in fear, that means reverence of God, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, and actually if you research that, it's talking about money, from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, And without spot. So let's go back to verse 17, 16. Excuse me, no. 18. Next verse. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. The word redeemed means to be bought back out of something. To be bought back out of something. Years ago, there was a, a family piece of jewelry that was by somebody in our family that, was, that needed money, and so they went to a pawnbroker and they gave it to the pawnbroker for some money. And because this, this piece of jewelry was, was, a, was a valuable thing to our family, I decided I didn't want a chance of anybody else buying it, so I went back and I paid that debt so that I could buy back that piece of jewelry. So it's money given to buy something back that was already yours. So why did I do that? Because I valued that piece of jewelry because of what it meant to our family more than I did the money that I had to give in exchange for this. And Peter, the Holy Spirit through Peter, is saying, you were bought back. He said earlier, through your aimless ways, but... but Paul, which we'll look at in Ephesians, says you were dead. We were dead in our sins and transgressions. We were without God and without hope in this world. And you were bought out of that. I was bought out of that, not with money, not with precious gold. In fact, there's a, we won't get into it today. But there's a verse in, in, in Psalms that said, "What's the price of many man's soul? There's not enough money in the world." To redeem one soul. So you were not bought with silver and gold from your aimless ways and conduct received from the traditions of your father. Go ahead. But with the precious blood of Christ. Now, blood in the Bible, according to Litica, Leviticus 14, blood in the Bible isn't just representing the wet stuff that dries and becomes hard, it represents the life. The reason the Jews couldn't, Hebrews could not drink the blood is it represented taking in the life of some animal or some other, other nation or some other people. So the life is in the blood, and that is medically true because the life of giving oxygen is carried through your blood cells to the, all the cells in your body. So when you read about the blood of Jesus, we talk, we're talking about His precious life. But you were redeemed, you were bought back By the precious blood, life of Christ, as as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now, why was the blood of Christ precious? There are several reasons that I could think of. First of all, what does He mean to the Father? Well, we, we could go on and on, but even these, the words of the Father, which He spoke several times, This is my beloved This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So first of all, the value of his blood is to the Father, what he means to the Father. Secondly, just who he is. He's the Son of God. He's the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. He is the Word of God of God. All things were created by Him and all things were created for Him and through Him. All things exist that were existed through Him. That's who He is so He's precious and valuable because of who He is not just because of the Father. And then Peter says that this this Son of God, this One who was given to redeem us is the Lamb of God. Isn't it interesting that in Revelation the One that's seated on the throne The John C. seated on the throne is not the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's not the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's not the victorious over Satan. He's all those things. But the one that's seated on the throne is the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world. That ought to tell you something about how heaven thinks. So your value to God is revealed by the price He was willing to pay to buy you back from Satan's hold and possession of your soul. And He bought you with the precious blood of His Son, the spotless Lamb. Your value to God and the value to him of the price he was willing to pay is the price he was willing to pay to have you. And we're going to see before we're through, he had, he, nobody had to twist his arm to do this. You didn't come to him and said, please help me, please redeem me, Satan has a hold on me, and please would you pay whatever it takes to get me out of there. No, you and I ran away from him. We spurned him. We spit on him. Some of us were hard in our hearts towards him. Isaiah 43, I want to show you this concept of what precious means. The ladies have more of an understanding of it. This was in Psalm 43, this is Isaiah 43. This is God speaking through Isaiah to Israel who was rebellious at this point. Israel at this stage, northern nation was gone. But he was speaking here to Israel and, and they had turned their back on him. They were worshiping idols, they had broken their covenant with him. And he had talked about the judgment that were going to have to come on him, but then he spoke these words of consolation for him. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Listen to this. I gave Egypt to ransom you back to myself. Ethiopia and Seba I gave in your place. Next verse. Since you were precious in my sight, this is what I did. You have been honored. You have been, I have loved you. Therefore, I have given men for you and people for your life. He gave Egypt. He gave nations for Israel. But He gave His precious Son for you and you and you and you and you. What are you worth? What are you worth? What's behind the value? What motivates this value? Well, the owner of that sports car, the McLaren P1, had enough of a desire to pay $1.1 million to bring that car home and put it in his garage. What motivated God was his desire to have you personally, as his own, out of his love for you. Romans 5 8. Verses we know. But I want, I, these are things we know, but they've got to touch your heart. And that's what's been happening to me. It's touching my heart and it's changing my heart. We'll talk about that as we get near the end. But God demonstrates His own love towards us. Now, notice the word is not demonstrated. It's not that God did something a little over 2,000 years ago and we need to keep looking back on that and, you know, it's an old event. No, He demonstrates it. He continues to demonstrate His love for you in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means His death for you is still working to be effective, to cleanse you. To keep you righteous before God. That sacrifice of His Son was not an historical event over 2,000 years ago. In the eyes of God in whom there is no time, that is right here in His face right now. His Son hanging on that cross and He looks at your sin and He looks at His Son and He says, I gave Him up for you. I told my wife when we were down in Florida. I said, there was a point when God looked at you and He looked at His Son and he said to his son, I will give you up so I can have her. He chose to give his son up so he could have you as his son, as his daughter. In that while we were still sinners, he goes on to say, while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. Ephesians chapter 2, my goodness my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. And you he made alive who were this is us, who were dead. Say, but I've I've always been alive. No, you were spiritually dead. Dead means if you were to go down to the morgue and you were having enough courage to touch those bodies, they wouldn't know you touched them because they're dead. They exist The corpses exist, but they're not alive, so they can't interact. They don't sense anything. You can touch them, you can talk to them, but they're dead. They can't dissect, and God was present around you. God was trying to touch your life, but you were like a corpse before him. You were dead in your senses to his presence. You were dead in your senses to his voice. You were dead in your senses to his love for you. You were dead in your senses. You didn't know whether he exists and you didn't want to know. Because then you, we got to change our ways. Then we become responsible. We were dead, he made alive. Who were dead in our trespasses and our sins. In what you once walked according to the course of this world. That's the direction the girl's going. According to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, and the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. That's who we were. Keep going. Among whom you also once conducted yourself in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And listen, were by nature children of his wrath. Just as the others. Oh, but it's about to get good. But. But. Three more letters. But. You know what the word but means? We're going this way. But means, whoops, we turn around and now we go the other direction. That's where we were. But God. You are here today. You're alive to Christ because but God. That's where you were. That's what you did. That's where you were headed. But God, now what motivated him? Who is rich in mercy? You know, the term "rich" is a relative term, and I don't mean by that it's nice to have a rich relative. That was better night than you laughed. But, but you know, if your image of what's somebody that's rich, okay? Now we're looking at those people we put up on the board: two hundred eleven billion dollars. Well, that's a lot richer than anybody I've ever known that was rich. So it's compared to what what your frame of reference is. So we're talking about how God is rich in something. I'm not talking about the streets of gold. God is, what's He rich in? He's rich in mercy. He's righteous, He's holy, but it doesn't say He's rich in holiness. It doesn't say He's rich in righteousness, it says He's rich. He's rich. God's rich. In mercy, because of his great, we're going to come back to this verse in a minute, because of his great love with which he loved us, so what motivated him to do what we're going to see was the great love with which he loved us. Remember, he loved you before the foundation of the world. That's chapter 1. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. Keep going. Here, verse 7. He raises up to... Go, okay, that's, a, that's all right. Okay. He goes on to say, in order to satisfy, show, display His kindness towards you in heaven. So God... There you go. Okay. That in the ages to come, He might show... This <laughs> There's going to come a time in heaven when God's going to show you off. Not of how holy you are. Not all the good things you did, those are important. Not how much you gave, those are important. But what He's going to show off about you is His riches, His exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness towards us in Christ. The Lord spoke to me one time, He says, you're a trophy of my grace. God's going to show you off to show what His grace can do with somebody like you and me. So let's go back to verse four. But God, so we're talking about why? What motivates? What motivated that owner of that sports car to part with one point one million dollars? Was he wanted that car more than he wanted the one point million dollars? Do you ever buy something that you got at home and think, "Oh, what was I thinking?" Well, now Amazon makes it so easy. You just go and click return, take it someplace, and they'll just already take care of it for you. They almost make it too easy. Oh, I could go there with... but I'm not going to... So what happens is you got inspired. That's what advertising is designed to do. It's designed to touch your emotions, get you outside of your reasoning and common sense, and say, I want that, click, I got... It. That's the problem now. You can just go, I want that. Buy it instantly, and it shows up a day or two later. And then you look at it, why? I didn't really, it wasn't worth that to me. It's called buyer's remorse. God has never looked at you. I want this to sink in. On your worst day, having just blown your mouth and said things you knew you shouldn't have said, God's never looked at you and said, what was I thinking? Why in the world did I ever pay for them? Because He chose you before the foundation of the world. He knew ahead of time every thought you would ever have, every word you would ever say. He knew the very worst about you. We're going to see that in a minute. Oh my, we are going to move along. I want to read this in the Amplified You Quote this from the Amplified. I want this to sink in. This is the Amplified version of this verse. But God, so rich is He in His mercy because of and in order to satisfy the great, wonderful, and intense love with which he loved us. Think of that word, satisfy. That's not a theological concept. This speaks of the yearning of the heart. Do you ever get so hungry you just have to have something? Do you ever get an itch in your back somewhere and you can't quite reach it? You'll do anything you can to to, to get anything you can get... (laughs) because you'll do whatever it takes to satisfy that drive that's what motivated him to shed the blood of his precious son to purchase your life to purchase your life we've got to move on quickly Ephesians chapter 3 this is Paul's prayer for the church and I pray this almost every day for me, for you Ephesians 3 verse 15 from whom the whole family and heaven and earth is named I'll quote it if you don't want to get it up there Ephesians 3 verse 15 from whom the whole family on heaven and earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be with, with might according to your spirit in the, there we go from whom the whole family and heaven and earth is named keep going that he would grant you according to the riches, there it is again, of His glory. Listen Listen to this. To be strengthened with might, power, that word is dynamic power, through His Spirit in your inner man. So Paul's praying for this church, these believers, that God from the riches of His glory would strengthen them with an ability in their inner man through the Holy Spirit, that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted, already rooted and grounded in His love, might be able to understand, that's what we're talking about this morning, with all the saints, what is the width and length and depth and height, the boundlessness, keep going, of His, of His love, of the, to, to know, that word means by experience, the love of Christ, that's the love of Christ for you, which passes all understanding. It goes beyond your mind, like the term, but billions goes beyond your mind. And that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. Verse 20. Now, here's how it's going to happen. Now, to him who's able to do, this is what God's able to do, exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can think or ask and he's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal to you how much He loves you. And Paul has to pray that God would take the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead to blow the walls off of your heart, to open it up to receive a revelation of just how much God loves you. So I want to ask you this question enough to say but just listen to this in your heart how do you believe God sees you oh I know God loves you yeah but you know what you believe by how you act and how you talk through all your weaknesses through all your failures through your stubbornness not looking at anybody in his correction in his conviction in all of his dealings with us he sees you through the heart that has demonstrated how precious you are to Him. Several places the Bible talks about this. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says God corrects us because He loves us. In, in the book of Revelation, when Jesus is rebuking a church, the church of the Laodiceans, He says, I'm rebuking you because out of love for you. So correction, rebuking, and sometimes as pastors, we're called to do that, is always to be motivated by love, is to deliver and to set free. So whatever God does with you, it's motivated by this love that you're precious. When you get up in the morning, He sees you as precious with your hair all messed up, no makeup on. I'm talking to the ladies. He sees you as that precious. Okay, I've got to move on. But we resist opening our hearts to believe it and to receive it because of several reasons. First of all, we know ourselves. We know how far we are from His goodness. Secondly, we have minds that are ingrained with the idea that you get what you deserve. And so we resist the clear overwhelming evidence of the heart of God towards us and His passionate and lavish love. I'm going to read a a quote. It's a little lengthy. And if you want this, it's in the notes that you can download from our our app or our website. This is from a book called The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. And I've assembled some of these things together. Listen carefully. Our unbelieving hearts tread cautiously here about how much God loves us. Is it not presumptuous audacity to draw on the mercy of Christ in an unfiltered way? Who do you think God is? Not just on paper, in the kind of person you be- but who's the kind of person you believe is hearing you when you pray? This has really hit me. How do you? How does He feel about you? How do, you, how do you think God feels, not thinks, feels about, about you? His saving us was not cool and calculating. It was a matter of his yearning, not a yearning for the Facebook you that you project to everyone around you, not the you you wish you were, but his yearning for the real you, the you underneath everything you present to others. But we have a perverse resistance to this. Out of his heart, flows mercy out of ours a reluctance to receive it. We are the cool and calculating ones, not he. He is open-armed, we're stiff-armed. Our naturally, this is good, our naturally decaffeinated views of God's heart might feel right to you because you're being stern with ourselves and not letting ourselves off the hook too easily. Such sternness often feels appropriately appropriate. But this deflecting of God's yearning heart does not reflect the scripture's testimony about how God feels towards his own. We are perversely resistant to letting Christ love us. But as Flavel, he was an old um, Puritan writer, says, why should you be such an an enemy of your own peace? Why read over the evidences of God's love for your soul? Why do we study evasions and turn off those comforts which are due to you? In the gospel, we are free to receive the comforts that are due us. Do not turn them off. This is what really... Open the vents of your heart to let the love of Christ in, who loved you and gave himself for you. Our lawish hearts, our hearts that are steeped in the law, you get what you deserve, relax as his lavish heart of love comes into us so our part is to cooperate with Paul's prayer and to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and we do that by giving him the fuel to work with which is by meditating on the love of God just a couple of scriptures for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son well you're in the world 1 John chapter 3, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Ephesians 2, But God, in order to satisfy the rich and intense love with which He loved us, just take one of those scriptures and when you get up in the morning, begin to recite it to yourself. Look in the mirror and speak it over and over to yourself. And as you do, the Spirit of God will take those words because they're anointed by God to break down the strongholds in our mind, the strongholds of who we are, that our parents put in us, that our teachers put in us, that the world puts in us, that the church puts in us, that religion puts in us, that we most of all ourselves put in us. All of these... Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. All of these are reasonings that exalt themselves in our mind against the true knowledge of what God is truly like. But the weapons of our warfare to tear them down are not carnal, they're not natural weapons, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of these strongholds. And it's His Word, meditating on His Word, allowing His Word of who you are in Christ Allowing his word of how much he loves you to begin to penetrate through those obstacles that have been built up through all your life and your mind. And the Holy Spirit in you, God Paul prayed, we prayed, He's in you for one express purpose to pull those strongholds down so that the light of the love of God, the light of the love of God through what he paid for you, would break through to your heart. And you would begin to taste his yearning. He's not just he loves you as a concept. It's the yearning heart that looked at his precious son whom he loved so dearly and said, I will give you up so that I can have you because I love you that much. The story of the prodigal son. The story of the, of the lost sheep where the shepherd left the 99 because he couldn't leave the one. And he went, that's all communicating the heart of the father, the prodigal son. In those days for a father, to run anywhere, especially an older gentleman, a patriarch, and to run after a son, let alone a son that had squandered the wealth of his father, was unheard of. It was, it was degrading. He didn't care about any of that. All he knew is his son that was lost was found. He paid his dignity to put his arms around his son. And the son had rehearsed his speech. I'm not worthy to be called your son, but I know your fired servants are treated better than I was being treated out in the pigsty, and the father never hears he's coming back as a servant. He only knows my son that was lost was found. He was dead, and now he's alive. Why did Jesus tell that story? Because that's the father's heart towards you. He didn't just run after you and wrap up his robes and run He took His Son to come after you and to shed that precious blood. So when you hear songs about the precious blood, when you think about the precious blood, don't just think of how precious the blood is. Think that was the price that the Father willingly paid for me to have me. As we prepare to close, The Bible tells us, Jesus said to try to communicate to this a man named Nicodemus he said for God so loved the world for God so loved, not just the fact that God loved, for God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life For the Son did not come into the world to condemn the world, but the world through Him might be saved. But he goes on to say, This Son, this gift of life, this gift of love is given to you in His Son only. And so in order to receive this love, you have to receive the Son because the Son is the container of that gift. Jesus put it differently to His disciples as He was preparing to leave them. He said, I am the way, the way, not one of several. I am the truth, I am the life. No one goes to the Father. No one can receive this love. No one can get into heaven and live with my Father unless they come through me. He goes on later in these verses in John chapter 3 and says, The light came into the world, but... There were those that loved the darkness more than they loved the truth, the light. Why? Because they chose the darkness so that they would not be revealed what they were doing. So it comes down to this. People often think in terms of, well, what, what, you ask somebody, well, are, are you going to go to heaven? Well, I don't know. You know, I've been pretty good. You're not asked when you get to heaven, what did you do? How good were you? Because none of us can be good enough The Bible's really clear, your best days, your best deeds compared to God's holiness are filthy rags. What is it that causes us to opens the door to heaven and closes the door to heaven and opens the door to hell? It's what did you do with my son? I paid this precious price for you, for your soul, for your life for eternity, that you could live with me for eternity. What are you going to do with that gift? Are you going to accept that gift? or are you going to reject that gift? And that's the question I have this morning as we prepare to end. It's a question that you can't avoid. Because to avoid it is to say, I reject it. So I want to do this. If there's anyone here that you've never received this gift of Christ's life for you, of the Father's gift to you, of His Son, imagine standing before God and saying I reject your son I reject the price he paid for me either because I'm proud or false humility I'm not worth it no you're not but he did it anyway so if you're this morning and you've never received Christ this gift of God's love in Christ I want to help you doing that this morning by raising your hand I want to pray for you I'm not going to embarrass you but I want to pray for you. In the balcony, I'm looking. I know most of you, maybe you're watching online and it's you I'm talking to and you've never received Christ as your Savior. I'm not asking you to join the church. I'm not asking you to come to this church. This is your relationship with God, one-on-one with Him. Are you willing to invite Christ into your life as God's gift of love for you? Here's what I want to do. I want to just lead all of us in a prayer. And then I want to give you some instructions and we're going to close with a song. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. You know everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said, everything I ever thought. For whatever did not please you, I repent of it. I ask you to forgive me. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Make me clean in your sight. Jesus, I call upon you to come into my life as my Savior. And I take my life as it is right now. And I put it into your hands to be Lord. Fill me with your Spirit that I may live strong for you for all the rest of my days. Thank you for loving me this much. Amen. If you prayed that for the first time online... On, on, uh, uh, yeah, online. If you would call a number, it should be a number at the bottom of your screen. It's our number here. You call that number tomorrow morning. Someone will answer that phone because we have some free material that we want to send you to give you a better understanding of what you've done today. And if you need it, they'd be happy to pray with you. If you're here this morning and you just didn't feel bold enough to raise your hand... At the end of the service, when we dismiss, there will be a prayer team over here. If you would come and talk to them, they'd be happy to pray with you, and they can arrange for you to have these same materials. Also, if you have any prayer needs, these are our, our prayer warriors. We'll be over here. They'd be very, very happy to pray for you. Praise the Lord. Thank you for the privilege of being able to bring this message to you this morning. It is a privilege.